Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. Today is Wednesday, January 27th, and I'm your host, Emily Flippin. Today, I am joined by Motley Fool analyst Clay Bruning as we talk about an under-the-radar play on digital gaming, GAN Limited. Clay, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for uh, for having me today. I'm excited to, to chat about GAN here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on. Um, so the reason why I wanted to dive into this business today is actually because I heard you pitch this stock to the team a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you're actually part of our newest cohort of analysts in what we call our analyst development program. And part of that role is finding interesting companies, maybe companies that have slipped under the radar for other Motley Fool analysts, and then talking about them with the team. So when you brought this company to our attention, I was definitely interested in, in hearing more about it, especially because it, it slides really nicely into this whole sports betting theme. And I, you'll clarify why GAN Limited isn't necessarily a pure play sports betting stock. But nonetheless, we're hearing a lot of hype and excitement around that industry nowadays. So it's exciting to kind of talk about a business that's doing a different side of the value proposition. But before we get into how GAN is interesting and how it plays into this entire industry, this is actually your first time on Motley Fool uh, Live here when we're taping, as well as industry focus. So I want to hear just about yourself and about how the analyst development program's going. Yeah, so um, you know I've been in the analyst development program about four months now. I started towards the end of October, uh, really with only self-taught investment research and stuff like that. I did study some finance and accounting in college, um, but you know I've really kind of taken advantage of having as much time as I want to really research and dive into companies that I've been interested in. Uh, and, you know, kind of uh, gaming and gambling has been something of interest the last couple of months, especially as the legalization landscape has changed. Um, so luckily, I've had kind of the autonomy in the program to really jump into any companies that I'm interested in. And, you know, uh, with that, I've jumped into companies like GAN that I think have some pretty interesting, uh, you know, prospects in the coming months and coming years for that matter. And it's not the only uh, so-called sin stocks that you maybe have dug into a little bit. Uh, I'm the lead advisor for our cannabis investing service here at The Fool, and I've heard you talk about a number of different cannabis and, and cannabis-related businesses. And it's exciting to me to have another analyst here at The Fool who uh, gives these businesses a second look when many investors maybe have ridden them off. Uh, I think the same thing can be said for uh, kind of gambling, sports betting. Uh, that industry, I think, a lot of investors have some pretty strong preconceived notions about what investing in it means. And it's fun to kind of break down some of those barriers. So without any further ado, I've kind of teased what GAN Limited does here. But uh, what can you tell us about just like a quick introduction to GAN Limited's business? Sure. So just kind of uh, the way I like to think about GAN is uh, they kind of digitally transform physical casinos. So maybe you have a casino in your hometown, you know, that you in the past, I've always had to go to to place a blackjack or a sports bet. Um, so what GAN does is they enable this digitization. So I like to think of them as the middleman or the toll booth between the customer or kind of the player of, for example, blackjack and then the casino. So they essentially handle, process, and power all of the online casinos uh, operations uh, in exchange for kind of a piece of the pie or a piece of those profits. 
it's a really interesting part of the value chain to be in because when people think about uh, gambling, I think their minds just go to the physical casinos. I I know I grew up in North Texas, right there on the border of Oklahoma, and uh, the Choctaw Casino is just a quick drive. And uh, that physical aspect of gambling, I think, is where most people's minds go to. And if they don't go specifically to physical casinos, I think the alternative is to sports betting, especially given, as you mentioned earlier, it's a legalization landscape. But I know GAN does a little bit of everything, right? They kind of marry the aspects of, okay, integrating what casinos have built in terms of retail with also a growing landscape for e-gaming. Yeah, so they have three main segments that I'll, you know, I'll briefly explain. The first is called simulating gaming. So I like to think of this as GAN's way of getting the foot in the door. Um, so essentially, simulated gaming is usually legalized in the state before they have any type of real money gaming, which is you know your casino, blackjack, or sports betting. Um, and essentially, any money that goes into the simulating uh, gaming ecosystem stays in it. So for example, if I were to deposit $50 in a simulated gaming um, account, I am doing that knowing that I can never withdraw. So you can never actually win money. Uh, it's kind of just if you enjoy playing blackjack or Texas Hold'em, whatever it is, you can go in, you know, and play with that. And, you know, maybe you get up to $300, but you do that knowing you can't actually withdraw any money. Um, and then from there, it kind of steps up to the real money side of things, which is your typical casino. Uh, you know, think blackjack, poker, Texas Hold'em or sports betting. You know, maybe you want to bet on uh, who wins the Super Bowl, the uh, the coin toss for the Super Bowl, an NBA game, etc. Um, so that simulated gaming, again, is kind of the foot in the door to eventually get into the casino and sports uh, betting side of things. I really like the simulated gaming business because, again, going back to breaking down some of the preconceived barriers that people may have about the industry, I think one of them is is, is how predatory gambling can be in general, but the simulated gaming business is actually much more akin to the monetization strategy that we see with uh, games even. And when you talk about exciting IPOs, like I know the Roblox IPO is coming up soon, it's a similar monetization strategy that they take and they they target children in particular. Uh, these are people who are making purchases with no intent of getting value back out of them. They're making purchases just for the intent of spending what is essentially in-game currency. And so having the opportunity to put, say, $50 into a game for which you know that you're you're never going to be able to take $50 back out of is not dissimilar to the way that gaming has typically monetized, even without uh, the gambling aspect being involved. So it's easy to, when you say it's the foot in the door, it's easy for me to visualize how you know, states and, and, and regulatory agencies can start to make that leap, right? You you have everything banned and you go to simulated gaming, a similar monetization policy that we see with games. And then at some point, as we've seen, and as I'm sure you'll talk about, we go towards more full sports betting legalization. And, and that's something that's picked up quite a bit of momentum over the past few months. Absolutely. And so when you look at GAN's customers, it's hard for me to visualize uh, where they are in the landscape. Are they competing with casinos or are casinos their customers? Yeah, so casinos are, at least as of right now, strictly their customers. So they are completely a business-to-business provider. Um, granted, they, they have recently had an acquisition that could give them that optionality to eventually go to the business-to-customer side of things, but they've uh, stated they're not planning to do that to essentially compete with their um, casino customers, at least for the time being. Um, and then a couple of their kind of notable or you know household name customers are FanDuel, 
um, who's their largest customer. And over the last couple of years, they've been a pretty significant, you know, over 40, 45% of their revenues. Um, they recent or in 2020, I should say, they signed Win to a contract, uh, which was actually kind of a, a groundbreaking 10 year contract for them uh, to ri- originally start in the Michigan opportunity, which went live last Friday. Um, and then Penn National Gaming and Churchill Downs are a couple of their larger casino clients. Um, and the best part about this in my mind is the fact that the CEO is already talking about how they're, they're in discussions or their expansion opportunities outside of just Michigan as well. Um, and one of the main strategies for this company is to um, understand that FanDuel is such a large concentration uh, and that creates kind of a risk, obviously. So they really want to focus on diversifying away from FanDuel. Um, so like I said, they, they hired Win Penn Nash, or they signed, I should say, Win Penn National and Churchill, um, all for just the Michigan opportunity. And some of those clients started in the simulating gaming side of things. Uh, and then they did that kind of step up contract to uh, the gaming and the sports betting. Um, so really trying to focus on expanding those relationships and then, of course, bringing on uh, new customers over the long term as well. I would think one of the critical risks would be as gaming in general becomes a an, a growing industry. We talked about it when we talk about uh, FanDuel and DraftKings and the risk to those businesses is that casinos make a more concerted effort to go after the digital gaming business, right, or esports, e- e- whatever it may be, uh, to try to compete more directly. I wonder if the same risk exists here. I-, I would wonder as businesses, say Penn National or or Win, look to get more deeply entrenched into uh, digital gaming, whether that be uh, sports betting or just uh, what was the simulated gaming that they eventually realize that they're paying too much to have a third party do it for them and they bring it in house. But one of the things that you just mentioned that I, I want to highlight that kind of mitigates that risk to me is that they signed a 10 year contract just last year with Win, And I know that's just limited to Michigan, which is not a small opportunity, but it's certainly not, say, the entire United States. But the fact that such a big casino operator is being willing to sign such a long-dated contract as, as early as last year, to me, says a lot about the service that GAN provides. Yeah, I think it really speaks to the technology um, that they have and kind of the value add that they bring. Um, and another thing I really like about GAN is, you know, the idea that um, their performance is directly correlated to that of, uh, you know, their clients. Um, so it was definitely encouraging. And, you know, management was talking about how it was almost unprecedented to hear of a 10-year contract in the, in the gaming business. So definitely an encouraging sign um, on my end. Uh, so, you know, we'll see how that progresses and if they can kind of expand that relationship in the coming months and years. Wait, so you just mentioned that their success is directly tied to the success of of their customer. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so GAN operates all of their contracts um, by uh, a revenue sharing agreement. So I, I mentioned at the beginning um, that they uh, are kind of in the toll booth or middleman business. So they essentially take a slice of every transaction that is processed on their technology so say, uh, you know, I go on to FanDuel's website and I place an $100 bet on XYZ. Um, GAN will take about, at least as of the last quarter, they took about a little over 7% of every transaction that is processed on their technology. Uh, you know, that percentage does um, vary based on the customers, but on average uh, in the third quarter, that was a little over 7%. Um, 
and again, like I said, this is really encouraging for me because if their customers, their their casinos, um, realize some value from GAN's technology, GAN will be a direct beneficiary um, of that you know value that they bring. So it's kind of the idea that the more value GAN brings, the more um, you know revenues and profitability they'll bring to their casinos, um, which will you know directly correlate to their um, revenue and profitability in the long term. So. I love the usage-based revenue model. It was something that I think uh, Fastly, which is a content delivery network, Fastly got a lot of attention because it it essentially provided the backend services to connect users to, to servers, access data on the internet more quickly. But they were essentially getting paid based off of how many people were accessing the data that they were uh, allowing to spread, right? And that kind of gives the company unlimited upside, but it also adds a little bit of volatility. And we saw in the second half of 2020, Fastly really, uh, maybe hammered is a strong word, but it was punished substantially because of its reliance on a single customer, which was ByteDance and TikTok, uh, when they started to face regulatory issues and transition away from the Fastly platform. So I love the idea that there's a revenue sharing model, which is kind of based off of the usage and the number of transactions flowing through the platform. But it does harken back to what we experienced with Fastly, which is they're highly dependent on one customer, in this case, FanDuel. So if anything were to happen with FanDuel, or if anything were to happen with the number of transactions that they were able to engage with customers for, uh, GAN would be substantially hurt by that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's that's one of the, the major risks, obviously, with the business. But you know, as they've added some of these customers that we've been talking about, and then, you know, obviously a couple smaller customers, and hopefully they have a nice little pipeline of customers coming up as more states kind of open up. Um, you know, I think that's one of their main focuses for 2021 is really diversify that revenue stream. So they're not so dependent um, on that kind of fan dual relationship. So. And, and to hearken to another example, I promise I'll move on then, but it also reminds me of Twilio with Uber. And when Twilio uh, came out, they were really reliant on Uber as a customer. And when they lost Uber, it was a big hit to their business. But because they had Uber in the first place, they were able to make substantial inroads with a lot of new customers. And it's continued to be an amazing stock to own over the past few years, even without Uber being that dominant customer, simply because they provide such a, an important integrated service. Now, Twilio's customers are probably much more numerous than GAN's, but still, it's, while it is a substantial risk, and I think every listener and investor should be aware of it, it, it's also, there's some benefits that come along with having such a big name brand customer on your platform, especially when that's set up in a revenue sharing agreement. Uh, but to move on, I promise I'll get off that soapbox now. To move on, uh, you talked a little bit about how uh, their different segments, you said simulated gaming, casino, and esports, uh, how they provide those different services, and they really get their foot in with simulated gaming before upselling right uh, to different products. But how, how does revenue break down right now between those three segments? Um, so casino is currently the largest portion of their revenues at about um, 66% um, in the third quarter of 2020. Sports was just under 10%, and then simulated gaming was 24%. Um, you know, I do expect this to you know change a little bit as the industry develops. So simulated gaming, I would expect to increasingly become a smaller percentage of their revenues because a lot of these states that they operate in or um, are going to operate in are going to go from simulated to, you know, real money. Um, and I, I would 
guess that a lot of the players of the simulated gaming are only playing because it's illegal to do online real gaming. And obviously in COVID, it's a little hard to even find a casino that's open. So I would expect casino gaming to you know increase a little bit, um, but sports to increasingly be a larger percentage of their revenue breakdown, especially with this recent deal of a company called CoolBet, which is an international um, sports book technology that they recently um, acquired. So uh, I would expect casino gaming to to increase and then sports to kind of increase uh, and eat into that uh, simulated gaming revenue stream. Is that a good thing, though, when you look at the margin profile between each of these segments? Uh, do you want them to lose their simulated gaming to go to casino and sports? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Um, and I do. Uh, so their iGaming segment, which is a combination of sports and casino um Gaming is going to have a gross profit margin just under 80%. I think of, as of the third quarter um, or the first three quarters of 2020, it was about 78%. Uh, and that's up uh, almost uh, 10% from 2019, where it was about 67, 68%. Uh, so a substantial increase in their, in their gross profit margin there versus simulated gaming being around 60% the last two years. Um, so simulated gaming, albeit it does have a higher take rate on average, uh, it's not going to bring as much profitability to the company. So, uh, you know, the iGaming, and again, the iGaming is the sports and casino segments combined, uh, is going to have a substantially higher gross profit margin, which, you know, in turn will hopefully bring better profitability uh, prospects down the line. I can hear the curmudgeons listening to this podcast right now saying to themselves, sure, this is interesting, but this type of product has been around forever. It was the same thing we heard when we saw these meat alternatives come onto the market and, and their curmudgeons, much like myself, were like, wait a minute, wait, wait, meat alternatives have been available forever. Why are they interesting now? So I have to ask you, this is, this is clearly an old business. I'll admit it, the landscape is changing a little bit, but why are you interested in GAN Limited today? Yeah. So, I mean, kind of the the inflection point of this industry in my mind was May 2018, the Supreme Court overturned some laws um, regarding sports betting in any state, really. Um, so since 2018, there has been a massive shift. Uh, I think of almost half of the states in the U.S. have legalized online or sports betting to some extent. Uh, just last week, Virginia and Michigan both went live. Uh, there are encouraging signs that New York and Texas are showing promise, which um, when you consider just the adult population of those two states could add a potential of 35 million new bettors. Um, and specifically in New York, Governor Cuomo a couple weeks ago uh, talked about how New York could be the single largest uh, state in terms of wagers. Um, and this is month, just a couple months after he had been a huge, um, he'd been very much so against online betting uh, so you can kind of see how COVID and the tax budget shortfalls and things like that have really kind of put a squeeze into a lot of states, which is a you know a tailwind in and of itself. Um, and then you have high profile people in Texas, three sports uh, professional sports owners, um, Tillman Furtado, Mark Cuban, and Jerry Jones are all expected or kind of rumored to support um, kind of a, a sports betting or an online betting bill in Texas. Uh, so just a lot of things kind of pointing in the right direction. Of course, you know, nothing's guaranteed until, uh, you know, the bills are signed, but a lot of promise in some of the biggest states across, uh, you know, the U.S. Um, and again, specifically, they're a UK-based company. 
Um, but over the last four or five years, they've completely shifted their focus to to the U.S. Um, really, you know, after that 2018 kind of paradigm shift uh, in the industry. So that's kind of the reason the industry, I think, is, is so um, interesting to research and read about. Now, now, I know that you have some questions about the management team, and, and we'll circle back around to that when we get to some of the risks associated with this investment. But I, I'm interested in their financial performance, because with businesses like this, I, I feel like I could flip a coin. It's either going to be the highest margin, most profitable business I've ever seen, or they're not going to be able to make a penny to save their life. So what can you tell us about uh, their financial history here? Yeah, so over the last five, six years, um, pretty staggering growth in terms of the revenue. So uh, in 2015, they were at a measly six million or so uh, in revenue on an annual basis. Uh, and then you fast forward to 2019, they were just under 30, uh, 30 million annual revenue. And over the last 12 months, um, they are at 37 million. And again, this is all tied to their revenue sharing agreements, which is linked to gross operator revenues, which I just like to think of as total wagers placed by players. Uh, and one of the most staggering statistics of their 2020 performance in just three quarters is that they've already experienced 31% growth in their total wagers processed on their technology versus all of 2019. So I'll, I'll say that one more time just because I think it's a, a pretty important thing to, to, uh, to know about the company. So in nine months of 2020, they have 31% growth in gross operator revenues or total wagers processed versus the entire fiscal year of 2019. Um, so again, pretty staggering growth in terms of the specific metric that is correlated to their revenue. Um, so that's that's one really impressive aspect of the business. Uh, and then some of their key business metrics are um, you know, expanding year over year. So active player days is one important metric that they talk about, which is just the number of days any player logs on and makes at least one bet in any three of their segments. So in, 20, in the third quarter of 2019, the average player day was 5.4 days. In 2020, it was 7.5, so about a 40% increase year over year. Uh, and then average revenue per daily active user, which is total wagers placed divided by that active, active player days that I just mentioned, uh, has grown 30% year over year. Um, so clearly, you know, these key business metrics that they are talking about on a quarter in, quarter out basis and an annual basis, they're showing pretty encouraging signs. And to put the cherry on top there, one of the financial metrics that you noted was that they were profitable in 2019 and they've had three consecutive years of positive operating cash flow. So this is not a business that is, you know, it's not, the, I would say the most profitable business, but it's proving that because it is so small, it's reaching a certain level of scale that's letting it become profitable, which is definitely what I would want to see, at least when looking at this business. But I will take the opportunity, you know, highlighting that $6 million in total revenue in 2015 to remind people that this is a very small business. The market cap, uh, as of the day we're taping it, uh, which is the 27th, is less than a billion dollars. So this is a very small business, very risky business. So just keep that in mind as we're talking here. Um, this is an interesting company and, and we're having it for a conversation. And Clay is obviously a big fan. I even think you're an investor in it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but just keep that in mind for, for your own personal situation as we talk. But I won't harp on it too long. I, I'm curious to know if you think there's anything special about GAN, because the business, the market opportunity is interesting. 
But it also says to me that maybe this is something that they're either facing a lot of competition or somebody could roll out a very similar product pretty quickly. So what what do you think is unique and special about GAN as a business? Sure. Um, you know, the, just after doing, you know, obviously I did extensive research for my pitch a couple of weeks ago, but um, the first thing that stood out when just doing a top level uh, financial analysis was they're, they're showing signs of some impressive economy of scale. So from 2018 to 2019, uh, revenues doubled and they were actually able to decrease their cost of goods sold um, over the same time period. So you think about doubling revenues and decreasing uh, the cost of those revenues that shows pretty encouraging signs of being able to scare, scale their business very efficiently. Uh, and then once again, over the last 12 months, um, they've grown revenues over 20%. And again, costs of goods sold have been able to decrease. Uh, so that's kind of the first thing that stands out. And then on the contract side of things, uh, we've talked a decent amount about the simulated gaming side of things. So the management mentioned in, a, in an earnings call that these simulated, con- uh, simulated gaming contracts typically have a right of first refusal clause. So this means that, say, when, for example, if they only signed a one-year contract for simulated gaming, um, if Michigan, when they went live Friday, GAN would be the first company that has the opportunity to sign Win on for additional business. And Win has to negotiate with GAN or specifically reject their proposal before they can go to any other clients. So I think this is a really impressive contract that they have that, like I said, it simulated game and gets their foot in the door and it gives them the first chance to win that additional business and expand their relationship uh, to the more profitable and meaningful uh, uh, iGaming, um, which is, again, the casino and sports betting side of things. I was just going to ask about if there's anything special about this business versus their competitors, though, because that that's all great, but I still happen to think like, look, if I'm if I'm Penn National, what's preventing me from literally creating the same product internally and just rolling with that? Yeah. Um, so again, I'd go with what they've been able to build in about 20 years of operations on the technology side of things. So they have um, a couple of different technologies that they roll out or license to, to operators. The one that really stands out to me is their iBridge patented technology. Um, So as the name kind of alludes to, iBridge is uh, a way to connect a physical casino loyalty program to a digital digital, uh, casino loyalty program. And again, one of the the most, um, one of the quotes that management said that really has just imprinted itself in my brain is the fact that 7% of all casino players are going to generate 80% of an operator's revenue over time. So you have 7% of these, what I would consider high lifetime value players are going to generate 80% of an operator's revenue over time. Uh, and not only does um, GAN provide that bridge between the physical uh, and retail, or excuse me, physical and online footprint, um, but they also have analytics uh, and that's, you know, past analytics or real-time analytics. And if you think about a company like Wynn, when at the expiration of their 10-year contract, when they have 10 years of player data. They have all this information to help focus and hone in on those high lifetime market uh, players. Um, I think that brings a substantial competitive edge for win. They really understand their players. They're going to focus their marketing efforts on those high lifetime players. Um, So I think that's something that sets themselves apart in terms of uh, kind of being a sticky product that, you know, if you leave, you're about to lose 10 years or however many years of customer transactional data, uh, wagering data, whatever it is, um, which I think is 
you know, based off that 7% uh, high lifetime value customers is, you know, a pretty substantial asset to lose if you wanted to transfer um, your business either internally or to a competitor. Okay, you win. <laughs> You've convinced me. <laughs> and when you think about this this investment, uh, obviously you're personally invested in it and you like the business, but what's a thesis breaker to you? What do you think are the, the principal risks with uh, going out and buying GAN today? Yeah, we, I mean, we've talked about it. So obviously the customer concentration is the thing that really stands out. So over the last two years, FanDuel has been 45% or more of t- annual revenues. Um, and along those lines, you know, if they were to migrate to an internal or a competitor that could, you know, materially affect them. Uh, and actually in 2020, FanDuel did, uh, uh, discontinue some of their business. So FanDuel was using some of their sports betting wallet technology. Um, you know, albeit this, uh, this migration away from GAN, GAN sports betting wallet, uh, was built in the contract. So it's not like GAN was blindsided by this. Um, so this was discontinued in the middle of the third quarter in 2020 uh, and represented 10% of all GAN's revenues in 2019. Uh, so that's, you know, a material loss of business for GAN there. Uh, but on the encouraging side of things in the third quarter, GAN still increased revenues 56% year over year. So, you know, they did take a big hit there, but it's encouraging to see that they still uh, grew those revenues pretty substantially year over year. And then the other one is management and kind of the board. Um, so I definitely have some questions about the CEO, Dermot Smurfit. Um, he's been with the company or been involved, uh, since the early two thousands. Uh, he was the CEO for a couple of years. Uh, and in 2010, he became the uh, CEO and he's been the CEO for a while, but he has two other family members that are tied to the business. So his first cousin's on the board. Uh, and in my opinion, there's no reason for him to be on the board. I suspect he was an early investor in the 20, early 2000s, which is why he has that board seat. But nothing on his background or his um, experience really gives me any um, comfort for why he's on the board. So I hope in the coming quarters or years that he, uh, you know, he's replaced with someone with more industry experience. Um, and then his uncle is on the board as well uh, and actually owns about 10% of the business. So just a lot of family ties that, I, you know, I need to dig deeper in and try to get more information on. Um so those are kind of the three things that stand out to me in terms of some risk that, you know, could cause some adverse effects for uh, for GAN's performance over the next couple of years. Yeah, I'm surprised his family is so close. If I if I had a family that named me Dermot Smurfit, I'm not sure I'd want them on my board. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> but those are good risks to note. And um, I love when, when analysts dig into management, especially board, because it's not something we spend a lot of time talking about, especially in a short podcast like Industry Focus. But it is really important. Uh, these are the people who hold management accountable. Management makes the long-term strategy and ultimately determines the value that investors, just average investors, get out of the business. So I appreciate that due diligence. Uh, I want to wrap up with a single question here. It's unfair. It's totally selfish of me, but I my curiosity's peaked. Now I have to ask it. I'm stealing a, a play from Matt Greer's playbook, and I'm going to ask you the desert island question. Pretend you're on a desert island, and you can only pick one of these industries to invest in. Um, are you interested more in digital gaming or cannabis? Ooh, that, that, that's a tough one. Um... I'd probably lean digital gaming right now just because of, in my opinion, kind of the glut, especially in the U.S. of 
um, you know, potential investments. Whereas digital gaming, it's kind of, you know, FanDuel, MGM, um, soon to be Caesars as they, they merge with William Hill. Uh, and then you kind of have a, a very niche um, amount or ni- some ni- niche providers um, of the technology behind it, like GAN and Canby's one that specializes in sports gaming. So I, I think uh, it's a little harder to find, you know, those sure thing or what you think to be sure thing winners in cannabis versus the digital gaming. So I think I'd have a little bit more high conviction in terms of stock picking and the digital gaming side of things. Well, it's been nice to have you on, Clay. You'll never be back because I hated your answer. No, I'm joking. <laughs> That's fair enough. I, I go cannabis. I have to. Uh, but I can I can see how both these industries have a lot of the same issues when it comes to, to regulatory policy. So I thought it was a fair question. <laughs> but in all seriousness, Thank you so much for joining me. And I, I realize this is uh, not just your first time taping for Industry Focus, but you're doing it in front of around a thousand people right now live. And I appreciate you being willing to uh, jump into the Motley Fool Fire and join me today. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. And I, I appreciate you and in, uh, inviting me on here. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out to say hi, feel free to shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet at us at mfindustryfocus. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for his work behind the screen today. For Clayton Bruning, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool on! Fool on!